0: Alright, we're continuing our study in Second Timothy. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Uh, take it, read it, uh, keep it, know it, love it. The Bible is the source of life. Uh, Jesus says that man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. You, want, you eat food every day, great, good for you. You need God's word every day. That's what we need. That's what we need. And so, in addition to uh, your, the Bible's not a supplement, it is the source. Uh, of life. And so Jesus has spoken through His Word. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to love Him. He wants to teach us. Uh, And so we're in 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 2, finishing chapter 2, finally. We've been three weeks into chapter 2. Before we we get into uh, chapter 2, or chapter 2, verse 22, that's where we're going to start. Before we get there, I just want to recap a little bit of uh, where we left off last week, because this is a continuation of where we left off last week. Last week, we saw that the Christian life is one of repentance. If you're a Christian, that's for you. you the Christian life is one of continually turning and, and running back. To God. If you're not a Christian, we're glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, we, we hope that you would become one, uh, not through uh, just, just merely affirming with your lips, but with your life and with your heart. Jesus loves you, and we love you. We're glad you're here. And so repentance, what this looks like. I, I gave the illustration, I think, to the men this Wednesday uh, night uh, at Build Men. And what, what, what we saw, uh, I saw this multiple times in my home this week, and we kept repeating it, is that uh, when we are talking to my kids about what repentance is, uh, we had, I had my daughter run away from me and then I would say, repent, and she would turn around and, and then run back to me, to her Father. Repentance is running back to our Heavenly Father. That's what it is. It's not simply turning around. Christian repentance is not just simply turning from one thing, doing another thing, going from one addiction to the next addiction, to the one idol to the next idol. It's turning from whatever you're worshiping other than uh, Jesus and turning and running back to him. In doing so, you're running back into God, the father's lap like a, like a child would, uh, their, their father. We're going to look at what, what, what this looks like now. So, so in theory, you're going, okay, I see a kid running into a chi- uh, their father's lap. Boom, I got the image. Now, what does that look like? What are the markings of that? That's where we're at today. Verse 22, chapter 2, 2 Timothy, the marks of a Christian. What does a Christian flee from and what do they run to? Here it is. Uh, so flee youthful passions. And pursue righteousness. So flee, youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. So, so per- flee one thing and pursue another thing. Along with, not along with, meaning uh, you, you're accompanied by. This is what the people of God do. This is what Christians do. God's people. That's, that's who he's, he's speaking to. All those who call on the Lord with from a pure heart. When we're saved, Jesus gives us his, we get, we get a new heart. We get a new heart. We get his righteousness. We get his, his life imputed to our account. We're talking about that here in a second. But, but a new heart, a new life, a new mind, you're a new creation. So pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace. Flee sinful, youthful passions. So what are Those. What does this mean? It means that Christians should actually, see, hear this. Christians should actually live like Christians. It's the only organized thing in the entire world where you can say something that you are and then act like you're not. It's just Christianity. It blows my mind all the time. Like if I die of a heart attack, it's going to be because of this. This. just, mm. Like if I go to the San Antonio Spurs and say, I'm a spur. I'm, I'm, I'm on, if you don't know that's a basketball team, I know we don't have a lot of sports fans here. That's our team. If you don't know it, uh, repent again. <laughs> it, the Spurs is a professional basketball team. If I showed up and said, I'm a professional basketball player, I, I play for the Spurs. I'm a, I, my, the position is I'm a center. And If any of y'all, y'all know who that is, that means that's the tall guy. It's the tallest guy. They're all tall guys, but the tallest guy. I'm not that. I'm not that. They would. No one would go, you know what, I'm so proud of you for your, your self-identification. I'm so proud of you for your, your bravery to just, you know, label yourself among the, the elite. How we see that. No, you're not. You're not. You're not on the team. You're not on the roster. You're not, your name's not in the book. You're not there. You're not that. Well, how else do you know? Well, I can't play basketball like them either. I don't have the. I don't act like that. I'm not a professional athlete. Surprise, surprise. Now, Christians could not worship Jesus with their heart, mind, or strength or anything. And somehow we just walk around and never repent, never flee one thing and pursue another. And we just go, you know what? Grace abounds. See, grace, grace does abound. It moves in power to save and then change and transform. What I'm not saying is that that you can't sin. What I'm not saying is that you must be perfect. You have to work your way into Christ. What I'm saying, though, is is that what Paul is speaking here is there's markings of a true Christian. A Christian flees one thing and pursues another thing. And so he says, flee youthful passion. Much of the book of Proverbs is written about this. The book of Proverbs is written from a father's perspective to a son, continually begging him to flee Flee a lot of things. Flee evil people. Flee lying. Flee cheating. Flee uh, the, the seductive woman. Prostitution. Flee those things. Continue. Flee those and then pursue wisdom. Pursue righteousness. Pursue. The, the book of Proverbs is, is just the, is continually telling a father to a son to flee one thing and to pursue another thing. And so Paul's telling Timothy to flee sinful or, or, or right here youthful passion. What is this? Youthful passion is, uh, is, is not just lust, but it is lust. This word passions mean, literally means lust. Flee youthful lust. Now, we, we use, in the, in the Christian world, lust, typically, we only use it to refer to sexual uh, immorality. Which, indeed, we are to flee. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, that you are to flee sexual morality. So, absolutely flee Run from, you don't negotiate with sexual morality, you don't negotiate with youthful passions, you don't sit there and go, you know what, let's think about this. I gotta pray about this one. I gotta pray about this one. Sleep with my girlfriend or flee. Flee, period. The scriptures are clear. Flee from sexual morality. Don't cuddle it, don't coddle it, don't talk to it, don't negotiate it with it, you flee. But not just sexual lust. But also uh, uh, pride. Youthful passion is, think about children. This is like uh, when Paul says, when Paul, tells Tim, or Paul tells the Corinthians also, he says, When I was a child, I acted like a child. But then when I became a man, I put away childish things. These are the things he's talking about. Just everything under the, the category of being young and dumb, youthful. When you're a child, and my, and my children right now, they're pretty, uh, they're, not, they're, they're, they're proud, they're self absorbed. This is what, this is what uh, he's talking about as well. So, so lust here. Lust is not just a sexual desire and craving, but it's any desire or craving or longing. It's this desire to do what God has forbidden. Period. So there's, it, it's a desire in your soul to do what God has forbidden, just as you desire food and you are chased away to the, uh, the the drive-through to get food to satisfy your hunger. So whatever you're lusting for, maybe it's maybe it is sexual temptation, maybe it's fame or or just recognition. So you or maybe it's it's you, you want to look a certain way. So you rush to Amazon to buy a purchase a, 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 you know some clothes or I don't know what is it for you. But it's being driven, not by the Holy Spirit, but by a, a desire, a longing, a longing, specifically here for, for what God has forbidden. And so another way we can say flee youthful passions is not just youth, youthful passion in regard to lust or sexual morality, but also free, uh, flee adolescence. free Flee adolescence. Grow up. Grow up. That's what he's telling Timothy. Grow up. Flee being a child. When you were a child, you act like a child. You're a man. Now act like a man. You're a woman. You're growing a woman. Act like a woman. Grow up. Stop being a child. I want you to see that, that I'm going to list a few things. I'm going to list four things that, that are very indicative of childish behavior, youthful behavior, and behavior that Paul has already told Timothy to, to, to flee from in other chapters number 1 complaining this is how it, this is an adult who's still following youthful passions they're just a complainer so kids do all the time my kids i don't like this this food's too cold this food's too hot same meal same temperature two different kids they got to find a way to complain adults do it in different ways they just complain about everything just complaining if you have a heart that's just always complaining put away childish ways Put them away. Also, criticizing. They criticize one another. The kids. This is, this is what they do. They not only complain, but then they, then they say, oh, this person did these wrong things to me. My, my brother took this from me. Yeah, well, because you're hitting him with it. So he took it from you. This is, this is <laughs> telling half-truth. They're, they're critical only to get their way. Criticizing. This is, uh, this, this, is, this is embedded in the hearts of children, but it also you see it manifest when a man or a woman doesn't put away childish things. They're, they're complaining, criticizing people. Guess where they hang out? Social media. That's where they all go. Complain and criticize. Yelp as well. Like, that's where they're at. Like, that's what it's created for. It's, there's a whole category on, 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 in the, on the Internet for childish, you know, lustful passions, uh, uh, youthful behavior. The internet, that's what it was created for. Just continue your adolescence into your online community. Just complain and criticize. What happens when you do? What happens on the internet when you complain and criticize? People like you. You get more followers. The algorithm's like, like that until it offends someone. Then it's like, oh, no, no, not like that Not anymore. But we we live in a world that's literally being told, taught to not uh, forsake childish ways, but to delay them continually into adolescence, 40s, 50s, 60s, just continually be uh, on the internet complaining, criticizing. And that's where uh, the the dopamine sensors are hitting the brain. You're like, man, I'm a living. not Flee from that. Additionally, consumers, my children right now, they're not producers. They're not. They're not producers at all. They're not stewards either. We're trying to teach them, We're trying to teach them stewardship. But they're, they're primarily consumers. When you grow up, take responsibility, you go from being a consumer to not just a producer, but a steward, steward of what God has entrusted to you. And so if your life is being driven by consumption, whether it be food, alcohol, pleasure, what is it? You're just, being cons- you're just a consumer. You're not a producer. You're not a steward of what God has given you. You just want to consume, consume, consume. Flee, childish behavior. Flee it. Additionally, the fourth one is cowardice. Paul's talked to, linked at this already. We've already talked about this a lot. But this is um, the the spirit of fear. Right now. Children, young children, obviously, uh, are are, are fearful. They don't know a lot of things. But as they grow up, as they mature, there's this 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 reality that you have to step into leadership. You can either be a leader or a coward. Those are the two categories. You can be a cowardice leader, which then ruins all the people who follow you, which is really unfortunate for them. If you're a father, that means it's really unfortunate for your family. We want our children to grow up and become leaders, producers, not consumers and cowards. We need in the church men and women to not just be consumers, but producers, stewards, leaders. Not just in the church, but affecting the culture around us. This is what Paul is telling Timothy, to flee all of that. All of it. All of that. Flee it. Don't negotiate with it. Grow up. Pursue. What does he say? Pursue righteousness. The first thing he says. Pursue righteousness. Pursue it. Christians pursue righteousness. This is a marking. The first marking is that you flee. Youthful, childish behavior, passions, lust, all of that. You you, you flee it. That's the first move. Then what do you do? Unto what? You flee that unto righteousness. You pursue righteousness. Christians who don't pursue righteousness are not Christians. They're not. You must, I didn't say you must be perfect. I said you must pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Jesus says this, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. See, why why do we pursue, why are we lustful towards uh, all those things that we've just spoken to? It's because we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied in how God views us. We need to go seek out other people, and they affirm us. We need—we're not satisfied in what in the Word of God. So we have to go consume something else in addition to 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 help us, uh, to give us the motivation in life, to to, to help us pers- to do what we feel is uh, quote, you know, going to make us happy. Jesus isn't enough. We're unsatisfied. So we go from this thing to that thing to that thing to this thing. We keep going. He says, you're not satisfied because you're not pursuing the right things. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. What is righteousness? Holiness, rightness, correct understanding, correct living of God's word. There's only one righteous. His same was Jesus. Romans 3, 23 tells us that none of us are righteous, not even one. We've talked about before in Isaiah that our righteousness is that of a used menstrual garment. That's all we got. That's our best days. We bring that to the table. That's what we got. That's our righteousness. And so if we're gonna pursue righteousness, we must pursue a righteousness that we cannot merit on our own. The righteousness Christ is calling us that will satisfy us is not a righteousness that we can, can produce on our own. The righteous requirement of the law was something that we could not fulfill, that Jesus fulfilled for us. Jesus sinless, perfect, his word, deed, thought, his entire life righteous, holy. He lived in our place. He lived righteously, per- perfectly in our place. And then through his death and his, his, his crucifixion on the cross, this righteousness has been revealed that the, right, the, the righteous requirement for the law was going to be satisfied. God was going to pour out his right, wrath on, on the Son of God, sinless Jesus he, he, God deterred his wrath from, from you and put it on Christ the Son so that through faith in him that you could be two things. You could be declared righteous and you could be actually righteous. This is what this, this means, that when Jesus substituted himself in your place for your sins, he literally took your sin, your past, present, future sin, and put it on himself and was punished in your place meaning the punishment for all your sin, literally all of it, past, present, and future, all of your sin, not just your sin, but everyone's sin, all sin has been punished already, dealt with finally. Jesus died in the place of sinners, crucified, killed, dead. After three days, rose victoriously, conquering sin, Satan, death, and the grave. And so through faith, what then happens is that that, that that gets actualized, that gets real for you. Through faith in Jesus, then he takes you, 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 the righteousness of Christ, his perfection, gets imputed to you. means it's been put in your account. So you've been declared righteous by a judge in a courtroom saying, righteous. Though sinful, righteous. You're like, what's the justification for that? Christ's righteousness is now in your account. If we look at your account, what do we see? Christ's righteousness. Perfect righteousness. If you're a Christian, that's you. If you're a Christian, that if we were to look into the account of your life, you might look there and you would think I would, I would have uh, skeletons in my closet, uh, you know, I'd have sin that, that that's piling up, I'd have all this lie, all, all these lies, all this deceit, I'd see it all there. If you were in Christ, when you open your account, you see Christ's righteousness, but with your name on it. That's it. See, some of us just think that, okay, I get Christ's righteousness, but it's somehow fake. We don't understand this. This is like when we, we understand uh, to be declared righteous. You're like, okay, someone called me righteous. Someone declared me to be right. But, you know, I'm not. It's like we, we, we live in a world where you, everyone can identify with whatever. And, and so no one knows that your identification is real. Ah, oh, that's kind of fake. He calls me that. She calls me that. Whatever. And that's not real. So we struggle. Though we've been declared righteous by the righteous judge, God, that should blow our mind, we we still feel empty. Because we don't think we've been given a real righteousness. We don't believe we've been given righteousness. We believe that somehow that Jesus just does some magic trick and, you know, God sees his righteousness but but not mine. And, you know, it's just... in your account right now, if you are a Christian, you have the 100% of Christ's righteousness imputed, sealed to your account. It does not have Jesus' name on it. It has your name on it. You can withdraw from that account. The check would clear. You have the righteousness. You have it. Pursue it. So many Christians don't pursue righteousness therefore they're hunger and thirst for so much and they're not satisfied because they think that you know Jesus is stingy with his righteousness and it's only going to be applied to me when I get to heaven right now you have the righteousness of Christ pursue it you've been declared righteous it's been imputed tattooed to your soul marked filled in your account you are righteous, and then we should therefore live it out. Pursue it, pursue and live out what is already yours. Jesus also says in Matthew six thirty three that if we if we uh, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, all the things we need will be will be provided. Pursue righteousness. Second, He says pursue faith. Pursue faith. know through the scriptures that faith comes through hearing and hearing of the word of Christ. Romans 10. We're told that faith comes through hearing, hearing of the word of Christ. The first way that we pursue faith is hear the word of Christ. So I said at the beginning, if you don't have a Bible, take one. This is our gift to you. Read it. You want faith? Read the Bible. Like, man, I'm really struggling with my faith and I've not read the Bible in six months. Easy diagnosis, that one. Easy. You're like, man, I don't read my Bible I don't seek the Lord I don't I don't do anything once a week I show up and hear a sermon and I'm wondering why I'm struggling with my faith easy faith comes by hearing hearing of the word of Christ hear the word of Christ daily the Bible it's been given to you read it daily cherish it consume it like you would food Hear it. If you want to know what God's voice is, some of you, if you want to hear a word from God, just turn on the audio Bible. That's how I hear it. Every single day, I get to hear God speak to me through sometimes a British accent, sometimes an American accent. It's just God speaks through His Word and He has spoken. If you want to know what His words are, just have it read, the Bible read to you. Your app will do it. God's speaking. And some of you would be like, man, you just minimize that. No, it's the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing of the Word of Christ. Additionally, we're told throughout the scriptures to, to imitate faith of others. Hebrews 11 is this, uh, this example of all these men and women who've been, who, who are, quote, uh, uh, faithful. They're men, uh, men and women of faith. Some, some theologians and scholars call it the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. They, they, these, are, these are those saints in the scriptures that have gone before us and they've been faithful, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, we got these, Moses. We got, the, we got these guys in the scriptures that have... That have had faith and were to imitate their faith. Read them. If you're like, I wanna have faith, all right, I'm reading God's word, but then also, man, it'd be really nice to see how did another godly man or woman deal with the circumstance I'm going through? You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Guys, you're struggling with lust and you're thinking about cheating on your spouse. There's a guy named Abraham, did it, didn't work too well. Didn't work too well. Here's what happened. He slept with the wrong woman. That, that woman produced a child. That child, through that, those descendants, uh, have now led to, to an ongoing social, political uh, war in the Middle East still to this day. Arabs and Jews are now still fighting. Why? Because Abraham slept with the wrong woman. It's true. Also, we're in his marriage. There's a lot of more conflict there. There's a lot of reasons not to follow into that part of Abraham's footsteps. He was faithless there. Don't model that. But then when he had the promised child, went up uh, to, sacrifice him, uh, to sacrifice Isaac, he had faith. Trusting in the promises of God, imitate that faith. Look through the scriptures, not looking for perfect people. You're looking for people that, like you, who don't have perfect faith. But you can see where they're faithless and you can see where they're faithful. Imitate their faith, pursue faith. So the first way to pursue faith is to, to, to run to the scriptures. The second way to do it is to imitate the people in the scriptures who had faith. The, the third way to do that is to uh, look throughout history, read, read biographies of faithful men and women who've been, who are in the faith, who have been faithful. Dead guys, dead women, if they're dead, you can see their whole track record. Oftentimes, the problem with living folks is that, you know, you never know how they're going to end. And oftentimes when you, follow, you have someone you know, you love, you follow, and they, they, they sin, they rebel, they fall, they, they, they fall to temptation, and then you're, man, now I can't trust God anymore. That's because you're putting your faith in a person. Don't put your faith in a person. Put your faith in a God. And anyone who imitates and follows the, the, the God of the Scriptures, learn from them. Pursue faith. Pursue faith. Learn. Stay tethered to God's Word. Next, he says, pursue love. This Literally, this word love is agape. There's multiple Greek words for, for love, but this word is unconditional love. Pursue love. Love takes work. I'm not gonna to return to the, I'm not we're not gonna return to, to this scripture, but if you you will listen to it, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 defines this agape love, this unconditional love. This is the kind of love that God has for us, and we're to pursue it. One, in relationship with Him, and then two, the overflow and how we interact and relate to others. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says, love is patient. If you're impatient, and you want to pursue love, you gotta work on patience. Love is patient, kind. Then here's what love is not. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. If you see wrongdoing in the world, someone's pressuring you to rejoice and, and, and celebrate what God has forbidden and condemned, and you celebrate and condemn it. You celebrate in that, and our world would call that love. It's not love. You're anti love. That's called hate. You're not rejoicing in wrongdoing. If you rejoice in wrongdoing, you are not a loving person. Repent. Turn. To do what? To rejoice in the truth. Rejo- but love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, if you want you uh, to know how to pursue love, there you go. Additionally, that love is, is, is found and displayed throughout the life and work and presence of Jesus. Essentially, we're pursuing Jesus and we're pursuing to live, love, serve like Jesus through the power of Jesus, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Pursue love. Additionally, he says, pursue peace. Now, this word peace is the same word uh, uh, it, that, that, that is used to, in the Old Testament to translate the word shalom. Shalom. Uh, the, the, the Greek version of that word is this word. It means wholeness. It's not just hippie peace where we just, you know, we don't fight and we're not at war and we're just, you know, we're at peace. Shalom is wholeness, completeness. This is what, it was, when you got saved, when you believed in Jesus, you were made whole. You were restored wholly, fully. You were you were broken in sin, and Jesus has invited you to make you whole. This is wholeness, not just the, so. There's one peace in in restored relationship with God. Apart from Jesus, there's you are not at peace with God. But the wrath of God is upon you. The wrath that was poured out on Jesus is still directed at you because you won't get under the blood of the cross, and so it is still on you. The first piece we need is the peace with God. So if you're not a Christian today and you don't know love and trust Jesus, the first piece you need to pursue is peace with God. Peace with God through the Lord Jesus. Next, after we have peace with God, we're in our pursuit of continual peace. This is Living at peace with others, again, not like the, this, this hippie type of, uh, we just don't talk about things and just love harmony. We just quote, you know, you know, catchy phrases that would be on a coffee mug. That's not what peace is. This is restoring relationships, wholeness restored. This is what Paul says in Romans also, to live peaceably as it depends on you with everyone. This is if someone has sinned against you, you go to them, you let them know you, that they, you know, they, they've sinned against you, and you, but you're seeking reconciliation. You want there to be wholeness restored in that relationship. You're not coming to them to just condemn them and say, hey, look how you've sinned against me. I just want to tell you all, the, I just want to make you feel really bad. That's not reconciliation, that's not peace, that's not wholeness. It's like because God has restored me, made me complete, whole, God has forgiven me. I have the peace of God. Now I can take that peace, encounter others, and I don't have to be vengeful or wrathful, but I can pursue reconciliation with others. Or if uh, they've, so that's that's if they've sinned against you. Well, if you've sinned against them, then confess your sin to God. Go to them, apologize, repent. See, reconciliation takes two parties. It takes first the party who's been, uh, been grieved. Uh, they must forgive. And the, and the other person must uh, receive their forgiveness. Therefore, there's a reconciliation. But we're to pursue peace as it depends on us. So see, this is the marks of the, these are markings of a Christian. And we spent a lot of time, 30 minutes on this one verse. A long way to go. If you're a guest with us, welcome. I'll get through it quick. But here's the big thing I need us to see. We're to flee one thing and to pursue these other things. Pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace. It's interesting that he's talking about this because now he's in the context of opposition. Paul's writing to Timothy, not just telling him some things to say, but Timothy's in the heat of the battle. He's facing incredible opposition inside of his church. And so in, in light of that, here's the marks of a Christian. Now he's going to tell them to face opposition and do so head on. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, literally the word is stupid. My daughter, we're not allowed to say that in the house. And so she hears sermons. She's like, dad said stupid. And I'm like, yes, there's don't say you don't call your sister stupid or your brother stupid. you only call stupid people stupid and that's what the Bible's doing. That's what it's doing. Have nothing to do with stupid, literally ignorant controversies. Some of your translations will have already translated it. foolish. It's a sophisticated way to say stupid. Don't have anything to do with stupid, stupid ignorant controversies. You know they only breed corals. This is like people just want to fight for the sake of fighting don't get caught into that trap, it's dumb, it's foolish, it's stupid. He says, "And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So this, this is for the Lord's servant. Again, for the Christian, God's servants. The Lord's servant literally means slave or bond servant. This means that you've been if you're in Christ, you are bound willfully to Jesus. He is your king. He is your God. You are bound to him, to whatever he says and whatever he does. You're like, man, yes and amen, I want to do those things. You're bound to him. You're bound. And so a leader uh, or a Christian in the face of opposition, they got to remember who they're bound to. We're bound to Jesus. So if you're in opposition, you fight like Jesus would fight. You fight like the word of God tells us to fight. He's not saying don't get into controversy because Paul has already told Timothy about a bunch of controversies to get in. He's saying don't get involved with dumb controversies. The ones where people just want to fight for the sake of fighting. They don't want to go to God's word. They don't want to change. They just want to fight. Again, let me remind you of the internet. It's where they're at. But Paul has already, uh, throughout this, he's already opposed Peter in Galatians 2. Paul has already told Timothy to contend and fight for the truth. Later he's going to use the words fight the good fight of faith. He's he's already talked about defending the truth and to stand up to heretics. He's named a few last week. So he's not against controversy. He's not against fighting. He's against picking fights, though. Just picking fights to pick fights. He's against that says they're dumb also he's against getting into arguments that aren't going anywhere you got to fight the right fight and the fights that paul always tells timothy to engage in the fights that paul gets in are not fights that he picks they're fights that usually come to him and they're they're usually around god's word all right, we contradict God's word. We're false teachers out there. we got to defend the faith. we got to protect the word of God. we got to herald the truth. we gotta, we got to fight to preserve what God has called us to defend. We've got to rescue women and children. We've got to protect. We've got to do these things that Paul has been continually telling. He's not against opposition. He's not against controversy. He's against the kind of controversy that leads to no, nothing. So people just want to argue. There's people out there who just want to argue. I just want to argue. It's like, I love theology. I really love theology. I really do, and everyone should. I I can nerd out with anyone. But there's a type of nerd that I just walk away from. Like, they just want to talk about the Word of God and never apply the Word of God. That's how I discern. If we're we're nerding out, cool. Are we going to move to application? If we don't move to application, I'm avoiding that conversation. I'll do it once. I find out we're not going there. I'll, I'll apply and get out. Simple, I don't have to get frustrated, get mad, and I don't have to waste a bunch of time. If that's you, if you find yourself just always talking about God's word, and but never applying God's word, move to the application. Your, your conversations will be more fruitful. But he says that the, the, the servant of God must not be quarrelsome. There's a difference from, uh, from, from, not, from looking at t- 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 for a fight and being ready for a fight. So he's saying, don't be quarrelsome. Don't be looking for a fight. But be ready to fight if needed. He's in the face of opposition because he's going to tell them to correct his opponents. He's literally in the sentence telling them to correct his opponents. Don't be quarrelsome, but ready to protect, or to, or to, or to correct, to oppose, to, to, to fight. Quarrelsome is when you're looking for a fight. The man of, or woman of God isn't looking for a fight, but they're ready to fight if needed. They're ready. So don't be quarrelsome, he says. In the face of opposition, don't just fight. Be ready to fight. Oftentimes, we're in the middle of opposition. Your, your blood pressure grows. You're, you're stressed out. You're not sleeping at night. And you're just on edge all the time. So there's this tendency in the middle of opposition to just want to fight. Paul tells Timothy, don't. Don't just fight to fight. But, there's a, but you will have to fight. He says, in doing so, in the middle of opposition, don't be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone. Let kindness rule over you. If he was pursuing righteousness, pursuing faith, pursuing love, pursuing peace, like we've already been told, then when he comes in the middle of opposition, it'll be easy to be kind to everyone. He doesn't look at everyone and go, everyone's the enemy. Everyone's the heretic in the church. Everyone's, you know, Alexander and Hy- Hymenaeus. And this is, this, not everyone is that. He's kind to everyone. Additionally, it says to, he, he says to teach, be kind to everyone able to teach. Keep teaching, Timothy. Don't give up. Just because you're getting opposition, just because people are writing certain things on the internet, just because, you know, you get those emails, just keep teaching. Keep teaching. This is a call to endurance for the, the man or woman of God, no matter what sphere he's placed you in. Not just to Timothy. Yes, he's talking to Timothy, but that's your work. You may be getting opposition. The, open your Bible, still talk, to, talk about the Lord. Don't be afraid. Don't give up. Endure. He says that then to patiently endure evil. This is crazy. Not crazy, but this is like, it's like patiently endure evil. Evil is after you. We often think that, you know, Evil's just a, a thing. No, real evil, real opposition is at the, is at the face the, uh, of, of Timothy right now. And he's, he's face-to-face with demonic opposition, manifesting himself, itself in the, the people, in his congregation. He's having to deal with church discipline. He's dealing with issues. He's going to have to patiently endure. Talked about last week as a good soldier. This Demonic opposition is real. The devil is real. I need you to see in your life, wherever God has placed you, when God is looking to, to, where God seeks to build something, Satan's always there to destroy it. The very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, guess who shows up after Adam and Eve were married and had a call in their life? Satan. Some many couples are about to get married. Whenever you get married, guess who's going to show up on your wedding day? Satan. He's already there. He's trying to get you in bed now. He's trying to keep you out of bed later. That's how it works. Ask a married couple, 100%. That's how it works. Or he's trying to get you, you know, think that, you know, y'all love each other so much now so y'all can hate each other later. He is, there's a real enemy who really hates you. And until Jesus comes back, or until you depart and are with him, we got to endure. we got to endure. Paul says continually that he endures for the sake of the elect, for the sake of the children of God for the sake of the church. Then he says, okay, in enduring evil, now that you're enduring it, don't just sit there and just do nothing. Correct your opponents. He's not saying as evil comes, just sit here defenseless, put your sword down, put your weapon down, put your shield down, and just sit on your hands and just let the attacks of the enemy come and just say, I am enduring. No, he's saying this is a standoff. Put the shield of faith up, You know, extinguish the arrows, take out the sword of faith, and fight. Fight. Correct your opponents. They oppose you and they oppose God's word, correct them. And he says, do so with gentleness. Now, here's where a lot of Christians don't understand this word. They think gentleness is weakness, passiveness, never offend anyone type of position. Well, if that were true, then Paul, the writer, We're told throughout the scriptures that sometimes when they read his letters, they're like, man, he comes off kind of harsh. His words are hard to swallow. See, this word, some of your translations will translate it to meekness, not not gentleness. But they're the same word. It's it's meekness. And what meekness is is not weakness. If you Google it, you you will find the world's definition of gentleness is weakness and cowardice. That's not what it is. But meekness is actually, according to the Bible, bridled strength. It's bridled strength. Meekness curbs anger. So he has probably a lot he can get angry at. There's opposition. And so meekness, this gentleness in his opponent's going to curb his anger. This is what, the, what we're told that the Holy Spirit produces self-control. It controls the anger. See, anger is like a fire. Fires are great for the fireplace. They warm the house. But the fire is awful for the living room. It will burn everything anger has a place. Righteous anger has a place. Jesus was righteously angry and made a whip and hit people with it and drove people out of the temple. Oh man, he didn't seem very gentle, did he? According to our worldly definition of it. He corrected his opponents with a whip. Just take that in for a second. So this gentleness, this meekness has to you know, equate for uh, Jesus' type of righteousness being lived out in his anger. It was contained. There's, there, a Fire is good in a fireplace or on, you know, the, the, on the grill. Everything's it's contained. Cooks your food, warms your house. Don't let the kids touch it because it hurts. It's fire. Anger has a place, but it's to be bridled. It's not to be let run rampant. Anger is to be in check through meekness. It's like a bit and bridle in a horse's mouth that directs the horse where to go. So meekness governs and controls the emotion of anger. A meek person patiently endures evil. Psalm 37 says it this way. and This is where we get the, a very clear picture of what meekness looks like in the face of opposition. The psalmist says in Psalm 37, verse 7, starting in verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So the psalmist is saying, wait patiently on the Lord. There's evil around you that you must endure. There's evil men carrying out evil schemes among you. Wait on the Lord. And he says, What? Verse 8, refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Flee from anger. Flee from wrath. He says, Fret not yourself. Stop worrying. Uh, wait, wait. Stop worrying. Fret not yourself. It only tends to evil. So when you're, you're worried, you're angry already, and you're trying not to be angry, but you're just more stressed, you're more, and then you get more angry. You just, now you're heading into opposition where Timothy's at. Meekness isn't governing him. Verse 9, he says, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait, for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek, the meek, those who are waiting on the Lord, enduring evil, abstaining from wrath and anger, but, but fighting and contending for the faith in the midst of opposition, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is the same verse that Jesus quotes in the Beatitudes where he says, Blessed are the meek, for they, sh- theirs, they shall inherit the earth. This is it. Meekness is not weakness. This is standing firm in, in the middle of opposition when evil is surrounding you. Evil is pressing in on you. It's not, it's not, it's not sitting there uh, uh, just, just giving up. It's also not attacking and fighting and aggression and anger. But it is, he, as, as Paul tells Timothy, correcting your opponents, engaging in the fight, but with meekness. Bridle that anger. Not shove it away and act like it doesn't exist. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let the Spirit of God cover you, govern you, control you, and then enter the fight, enter the battle. Correct your opponents. It doesn't say flee from the opponents. See this? It says flee from sin, but face your opponents head on. Some of you may need to do a lot of work personally, internally, before you enter that that opposition. Before you enter and face your opponent head on, make sure that the Spirit of God is governing, uh, bridling, and and, and meekness is governing your anger. But Then enter that conversation. Don't be passive and wait. So since I'm angry, I can't have a conversation. No. Pursue righteousness. This is an example of pursuing it. Pursue righteousness. Allow meekness to govern you. Enter the opposition. Be self-controlled. The man or woman of God is governed by the Spirit of God. Next, he says, we're, we're, t- we're going to talk about we're set free to live free. We're set free to live free. So he continues in verse 25. He says, but, but may God, and God may perhaps grant them repentance. So he's saying, correct your opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance. That's the goal when facing an opponent. It's not to win the argument, it's that they would repent and turn back to Jesus and his word. That's what that's the goal. That's the goal. Repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. God wants you to be free. If you're a Christian, you've been set free by Christ. You're to live free. Don't get caught up in, 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 in lies. This is what he says here. This is where we pick back up again from last week. God grants repentance. That's what the goal is. The Christian life is one of repentance. I need you to see this that if God must grant you repentance, God is the one who grants repentance. Repentance is a gift. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can, can work your way up to. We talked about last week, repentance is not penance where you pay off your debt. Repentance is receiving a gift from God. It's a, ter- it's a willful turning after the Spirit of God turns your heart back to Him. And so God wants His children to live free and escape the trap of the devil, we're told here in the Scripture. He says He does so. That he, he wants them to come, they, they repent and they're led back to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus says, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's the first thing Adam did, or, yeah, or the, Satan did to Adam and Eve? He's talked to Eve. What did he say? He said a lie, half truth. Satan's tactics are always the same get God's people to not believe what's true so they can act upon falseness, they can act upon a lie, and then live lives and build legacies that are demonic in opposition to God's will and ways. He says that they've been captured by Satan to do his will. It's literally what the text says. When you don't live by the truth, hear me this. If you don't live by the truth, God's truth, you might be captive by Satan, constructing ministries, organizations, businesses to fund the devil's ministry if you're not operating off the truth of God's word. Like, what I'm a good person. Yeah, Satan likes good people. Can, it's easier, you're easier to use. You don't have the truth. We don't have the truth. We don't set people free. We don't have the truth. We keep people captured. People captured is what he says. And, and the goal is that we'd be set free, to live free, then help others who are captured be free. Right? That's why you, you face head on with your, your opponents. And gentleness, bridling your anger, correcting them in love, and, then, and, and that God may... Perhaps grant them repentance, so they would know come back to the knowledge of the truth, and then therefore they would come to their senses, like being woken up. Man, whoa! I didn't realize I, I was believing that. They would, they would therefore then escape the snare of the devil, the trap of the devil, which the text says. And then after, because after that they've been, because because prior to that they've been captured by the devil to do his will. We're set free to live free, and we want to set other people free to live free. So the context here. The context here is Paul is writing to Timothy, again, in the middle of opposition. False teachers are are just just like wolves surrounding the church. They're wolves surrounding the church. And it's Timothy's job. So first I want you to see Timothy's job here as a a pastor, as a leader. It's his job to, to face the opposition head on. To do so with meekness, for sure. But he is to protect the sheep from the wolves. He's to protect the sheep from the wolves. Additionally, he's to protect those false teachers or false disciples who are trying to draw the sheep away from Jesus, the true shepherd. So he's got to step in and act. We've seen through Timothy, or through 2 Timothy, we've been told that there's those opponents, those false teachers who quote, oppose the truth. We're told that they, they uh, have shipwrecked their faith and they lead other people to shipwreck their faith. We talked about that last week. We're, we're told that they, the type of false teachers are, are trying to entice God's people to, to believe false things and to embrace ungodliness. This is going on in our day. This is going on in Timothy's day. So Paul has been talking to Timothy, telling him in the middle of this opposition that he's going to have to contend, he's going to have to fight These wolves to protect the sheep. The scripture is very clear that false teachers are are wolves and they're to be marked, pointed out, rebuked. If they don't repent, ignored. If a wolf comes into your house, do you cuddle with it? No, you kick it out. If a wolf comes into this church, do you cuddle with it? No, you kick it out. Now some pastors, afraid of being considered Not gentle. Let the wolf come cuddle with the sheep. Paul's telling Timothy, don't do that. But he also says that there are some, he's referring to people who've been captured by Satan to do his will. I need you to see, there's many people, there's many who are captured and are doing the will of Satan and they don't know it. First reason is because they don't read God's word. They just don't know. They just don't know. They're like, oh, Instagram, tell me my news. Like, Twitter, tell me my theology. Like, YouTube video, sounds good. Like, this is, we live live in a world of Christians who don't know their Bible, and they'll just listen to whatever the media tells them. Guess what? Wrong team. Media's not on Team Jesus. They're not. They're, They're captured by Satan oftentimes to do his will. They don't know it, though. Some do, some don't. So they're a type of sheep, sheep are gullible, all sheep are gullible, but particularly they're sheep that are, that are gullible and they're being led away by false teaching. They just don't know it and they don't know that they're, they're maybe doing the devil's will. They haven't read their Bible or they've just forgotten what it said. So this is where you come in and you, you correct that, that gullible sheep gently. You go, you know, have you read this? See how you're opposing. This is, I'll give you one. And, and I get in trouble for this one all the time. It's my favorite one, I think, to go back to. Not because I get in trouble, because it's the most clear and the fact that it gets so, such visceral responses. It's just like, man, I think I'm on to something. I think this is the one. This is the one that everyone's struggling with. Like right now in our world, it, depending on your workplace, you might have to put up, you might have to celebrate Pride Month. You might have to, you know, put your pronouns in your bio. If you don't, then you're called intolerant and bigoted. But in doing so, if you do that, in doing so, if, you, if you're being pressed to do so, and, and in doing so, guess what you do? You just, as we just said in 1 Corinthians 13, when in defining love, you have now rejoiced with wrongdoing willfully. You just willfully did. Well, I didn't know. I mean, this was what well, my boss said. just didn't seem really that harmless. Just, I don't know. I'm a sheep, I'm gullible. Right, you're right. This is where you come alongside and say, hey, <laughs> this is not love. You're, told, you're, t- you're telling yourself that I want to be loving, but rejoicing in wrongdoing is not loving. Okay? So that's, that's the first gullible sheep. You, you call them to repentance, you remind them what the Bible says, like, okay, didn't even think about that. Wow, didn't even think about that. I see it now. Cool. There's the other type, the, the sheep that hears, that's gullible, then they're corrected. With the truth. But then they don't do anything with it. We call them cowards. They've been confronted with God's word and called to repentance. For Let's keep with this example. Don't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoice in the truth. But because of the social pressure, because the pressure of maybe getting fired, or the pressure of the people, the pressure of, of culture, they're just going, I don't want to offend anyone. I just don't want to, I don't like the opposition here. I don't like the conflict. So in, 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 instead of enduring evil, enduring the evil day correct, in the spirit of meekness and continuing to, to, to press forward as God has called us to, we forsake God's word for the sake of comfort. So that she becomes a coward because they're confronted with the truth, but they don't want to stand with the truth. Because oftentimes they're afraid of conflict or they're, they're afraid of. Being quarrelsome, being viewed as quarrelsome, or the afraid of being divisive, or the afraid of hard conversation. This is why meekness matters. Meekness is this bridal strength that's gonna head into the office and say, I'm sorry, I can't do this one. I can't. I don't rejoice in wrongdoing. I thought we live in a day of tolerance and diversity. Can you not be tolerant? Are you intolerant of my desire to, to obey God? Oh, so you're the intolerant person. That's the Christian meekness, standing in the face of opposition. It's not weakness to be pushed over. It's to gird your loins and stand up like a grown man or a grown woman of God. Not captured by the, the whims of this world, but, be, but captured by the word of God and the God of the word. Jesus Christ, who loves you so much, who you love so much, you're willing to enter conflict. Though you don't like conflict, you're not going to be divisive. You're not trying to be quarrelsome. You're not, gonna, you're not trying to pick a fight, but the fight came to you, but you're ready. You make a defense for the hope you have in Christ Jesus and you take the licks that come. And then the coward, if, they, if they're a teacher, if they're a, uh, like, like in Paul's day to Timothy, if they're, they're a teacher, the coward then who's supposed to be an under-shepherd of Jesus, he, he, he sees God's word. He's now been corrected by God's word. And, and he doesn't call people to God's word. He, he just doesn't say anything. And so be careful of these on the internet, YouTubers. They they only want to talk about stuff that will not get them canceled. Or the pastors, they only want to not say anything offensive. They go from having that blind spot where they were blind. I I just didn't see this. I was rejoicing wrongdoing, did not see this. Okay, now that I know it, I can turn from, instead of returning to it from, from their, their blind spot, they now, go off, they now move from blind spot, gullible pastors, to now they go to willful, willfully blind guides. That's what the scripture uses, this is language. They go to willfully blind guides. It's the blind leading the congregation off a cliff. That's so Paul warns them against false teachers. They're going to lead you off a cliff. If they're not repentant, if they're not being tethered to God's word, they don't see God's word and go, oh, you know, what? I was wrong and repent. There's been times where people in the church have come to me and said, oh, I think you've sinned here. And we, we've, there's been repentance there. We've had to maybe struggled and wrestled through things. But there, there has to be the Christian life is one of Repentance. And so, such pastors who 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 know the truth but don't herald the truth, who have become willfully blind guys, guides, guides. These are the guys that Paul is writing to Timothy to, to contend with, to correct. These are his opponents. Such pastors are far more; they care far more about their own perception than the life of the sheep. Jesus calls this a hired hand. He says the tr- The shepherd will step in front of the sheep. To protect them. That's what a shepherd does. He protects his sheep. But the hired hand, the hired hand is the guy who just, is just working a job. When conflict comes, he's gone. The wolf comes, not going to risk my life. Sheep that can be devoured. When you have hired hands leading churches, you get United States of America Christianity. This is where we're at. why are you dogging people? Look at, tell me. Do we have shepherds? Would the church of Jesus Christ, is it marked by willing to, head, face to face face opposition head on? Correcting opponents. Heralding the truth. Repentance. You call people to repentance, they tell you that's intolerant. And they go, okay, well, we won't tell you that's intolerant. I literally told you all last week. Pastors in the city who tell me we talk about repentance too much. And I say, well, see, I'll hand you over to Satan. That's where you're at. That's where you're at. So, Paul does. Shepherds defend the sheep. Paul is telling Timothy to defend the sheep. The hired hand protects himself, flees from the sheep. So, in conclusion, in all this, where do we find ourselves? What has he said? In the middle of opposition, Timothy, and the Christians around you, what are you to do? You got to flee youthful passions. You're in the middle of, op- you're at war. S- stop getting caught up in stupid controversies. You're at war, Timothy. Get off the internet. Get off the porn sites. Flee from youthful lust. Pursue righteousness. Get- flee from childish ways. Get out, you don't have time for this. You're in the middle of opposition. You're in the middle of war, Timothy. He's reminding him of that. And he's sowing. Like, also, you got to get rid of your anger. Flee from your anger. Flee from your, 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 your bitterness. Give that to Jesus. Remember the gospel. And then face opposition. And while you're facing opposition, continue to pursue righteousness because that's how you're going to know how to navigate this, this, this opposition. Additionally, keep pursuing faith because you're going to need faith because you're going to have a lot of opponents and it's going to look kind of dark. Continue to pursue love because you're going to need the love of Christ to, to remind you of who you are in Christ, but also you need to display that love to your opponents and to herald that love to all those who would hear you. Additionally, continue to pursue peace because things may be crazy out there, but the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, Timothy, can guard your heart and mind. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing. You're not looking for fights, but you're ready and you're, you're equipped because you're pursuing those things so when the fight comes, you're ready. You're ready. You're ready. You're ready. You're ready to help now. You're helpful. So if... That's all to get you ready to be helpful. That's our call, church, all of us here, to do all of this so that we can be ready to fight and to be ready to help. To help what? Help people hear the truth so that they can be set free. To live free. That God may perhaps grant them repentance. They would come to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus, see and believe that Jesus really died in their place for their sins, that he loves them. They would wake up from their stupor slumber, come to their senses, escape the snare of the devil, be recaptured by the love of Christ after being captured by sin and Satan, set free to live free. If you want to engage in the fight, you want to contend for the faith, you want to be able to do so, you got some stuff to pursue. You got some stuff to pursue. Forsake sin. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. Pursue Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you bless these men and women? May we leave here not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. If our hearts are unaware of your ways, may we go to your word and hear from you, receive from you, repent as needed, follow and obey, know, know you and love you. May we be recaptured by your love today, rekindled this week by your love, Lord Jesus. Where we've believed lies, would you set us free with the truth? Where we've been entangled with the snare of the devil, may you set us free. May we, where we've been just lulled to sleep on the, and being used for Satan's schemes would be wake up. May we not be cowardice, may the, but may the spirit of, of, of Christ dwell in us, not that of fear, but that of love, power, self-control. May we enter into conflict as it comes in a way that, that Jesus, you would. And therefore, until those, those moments arise, may we be the men, and even when those moments arise, may we be the men and women who pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, Pursue peace, all those Jesus you embodied perfectly, completely, and you've bound into this book we call the Bible. May we know it, may we love it, may we keep it, may we obey it. Empower um, said that in Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.